WWF came to town, we were supposed to see the Ultimate Warrior, and my brother <laughs> got so excited, he threw up. I've never been put in such a vulnerable position. I'm pressing hard now just to feel the ignition. My heart. Yo, 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 ladies and germs, welcome to Idea Lemons Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, aka Raj Nation. I am the Idea Lemon co-founder and your show's co-host. And once again, I'm joined by my co-founder and co-host, the man, Marty McFly, Martin McGovern. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help us better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. In this episode, we hang with Kate Wiener and Brian Rowling, co-founders of the marketing agency SRW, whose tagline is, Quit Advertising. We did... They founded SRW by taking a system they saw was broken within advertising and creating opportunity out of that. So naturally, our conversation centered around the question, how do you turn flaws into opportunities? Before we get rolling, no pun intended with Brian's last name, haha, Rolling, I want to invite you to join the Idea Lemon tribe over at idealemon.com. All you got to do is enter your email address, subscribe to our email newsletter. It's free. It's where we release these episodes and a whole lot more about discovering your inner awesome. All right, let's get to it now. Kate Wiener, Brian Rowling of SRW. How do you turn flaws into opportunities? Let's listen in. I think how to turn flaws into opportunities is an important question to me because it's basically what our entire business is based on. We've basically just taken a massive hole uh, in the market and a flaw in the system and realized that not only was it frustrating for us to work in that system, but it was frustrating for other people to engage with that system. And we identified that as an opportunity. It's become an opportunity not just for our clients, but also for us to live out what we actually wanted to do with our lives and to be able to create things that people actually need. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's important to us because, I mean, it's the foundation of how we started our business, I would say. What's the biggest flaw in advertising you guys have seen? Overhead. I just think, like, the structural waste is massive in advertising and i think like big companies and i don't know if this is unique to advertising or not it's just in my experience that's my experience um actually even when i was working in the film industry it was i would say it was true even in like the big studios or big hollywood production companies just like big companies are designed to take responsibility away from anybody right so like you have sideload departments and there's so many people involved and if something isn't done right, they can point to someone else and that person's, and it's like a way to sort of like remove responsibility from people. And it's really hard to like fix shit when like no one (laughs) is responsible for it, you know? So like, I think like the size and the amount of people and it just protects people that frankly aren't good at their jobs. And like, I just think that it, it removes responsibility from anyone. And it's just so hard to like make things efficient when you don't not to blame punitively but like you gotta know like hey that didn't work out why didn't it work mm-hmm. out well, let's figure that out and yeah that doesn't happen at least in my experience it didn't happen at the big companies i've worked at i thought was, so you know i used to work at an advertising agency i thought what was interesting is i didn't think it was so much that if something went wrong it wasn't a like there's no way to figure this out it was more like people didn't care to really figure it out so I was pitching a client for a long time, uh, like a major entertainment brand on like a seven-figure loyalty program, perhaps an eight-figure loyalty program. <laughs> and, you know, we strategized for a long time, went to their office, and we pitched them, ultimately found out we didn't win it. And they were, you know, they gave us like an hour debrief where they were like, here's what we loved, here's what we didn't like. And I was like, wow, I wish every client were like this. (laughs) Um, 
And, you know, I, I took great notes on it and everything. I mean, great notes. I took notes on it. Took <laughs> <laughs> <Just> some notes. <laughs> I made a mental note. Yeah. <laughs> so I took notes on everything they said, and then I sent it back out to the team, and I said, hey, guys, here was what they had to say. And that was it. Like, there wasn't, it was, it was just, thanks, no, oh, why don't we sit right. down and discuss yeah. how we can do this differently the next time. Exactly. And for me, I was like, and I, and I took it more personally because it was like my project from the start, and I and I felt the burden of not winning the deal because it was my project, and for like to get that response of just like, oh, all right, next one comes around, we'll probably make the same mistakes, yeah. you know. Yeah. That for me was like this, like that was a huge fly. So I don't know if that's just yeah. advertising and marketing or if it's everything, but it really you was. You spend a really long time crafting a text message only to get. K in response. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, exactly what it is, right? Yeah, that's exactly what that's it hilarious. is. Hilarious. Very I don't know if it's just in advertising, but I think it's amplified in advertising because I think so much money is spent on advertising and marketing, and so the the success, what's considered a successful campaign, is like. Five percent of people looked at it. We enjoyed the creative execution, right? <laughs> and, and I think, like, when you're in the industry of helping people sell things, and economy goes bad, and all of a sudden, like, these companies mm-hmm. are like, we don't really have a lot of money to waste right now. Like, we actually need, really need to see results. So, like, when things are going great, whatever, right? They yeah. got the money. They see a little return. They're fine. But now it's like that's just different. Like, it's just yeah. not the case anymore. And like. People aren't looking at five channels or a hundred channels. Like they're looking at a million different channels. Yeah. So like it's so much. You have to be so much more flexible and efficient with what you create because it's got to go everywhere. It's got to reach so many fractured people. So I think like in advertising specifically, the lack of efficiency is really being amplified because the industry has changed so much. Yeah. yeah. So that to me is the problem with advertising. It's redundancy. So we worked with some incredibly talented people who had to make three versions of everything they did. Why? (laughs) Like, if you have this amazing art director who's going to knock it out of the park on the first try every time, why does he have to make three versions? If you have a really talented copywriter who knows exactly what they're doing, why are they wasting their time creating two more versions? Why don't you just pitch one good version? (laughs) Like, that's the number one thing I never understood about advertising, and we don't do that at SRW. Like, we don't create multiple versions. We create one version that's good. And, like, if it's not good, we'll hear that. But, like... Just make one good version, and well, then you don't need two versions. And because how how different could those three versions be if you're going with no, if you're trying to create another version without feedback? And this goes to your you wrote something about feedback loops recently. Yeah. Where it's like if you don't have feedback on the original idea, the other version is just going to be a different way of saying that exact same idea. Whereas if you get feedback, now you can radically change the entire concept. I think that's really important as yeah. well. And I think sometimes like. It was an attempt to trick the client. So it was like, we'll make three versions. Mm-hmm. Two of them are going to suck. Mm-hmm. And because we really want oh them to do God. this third one. Or, or not even necessarily <laughs> suck, but just like. And then you have yeah. to strategize what order they're in. Right. Now yeah. you're like, well, I've noticed that if we make it second, they pick, and then they, pick <laughs> and then they pick one of the bad ones. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> Which happened a lot. Like, happened times, a lot. Nine times out of ten, you present two versions, and the client says, I really want a combination. Nine times out of ten, we would go in with two versions, and they would say, I want this from A and this from B. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which then you're creating a Frankenstein. Exactly. You're like, this and that's arm never doesn't good. really fit. And, and, and never I, fit. I, I, I sort of understood, like, I sort of understood why they wanted to do that because, like, there was a lot of pressure on them to create something brilliant that they could win awards on, and they really want, and they thought the client was going to screw it up. But like, it just didn't make. It's just like the hours you burned, and the and like the, I would just sit there and go, what's the value for the client? Yeah. Like. Give them one idea. If they hate one idea, then let's get them another idea. Yeah. Like, why do we have to, like... But there was this... It would take six months to give them three ideas, and they might be lukewarm yeah. about those three ideas. Right. Let's take a week and give them one idea, and if it sucks, we'll give them another one next week. Like yeah. this, So I think there was, like, a speed and efficiency, and client, I, what I noticed when they, that made me want to change was that clients were, like, hip to the game. And they were like, we just need it quicker. Like, why is this taking so long? Yeah. And they didn't want a whole thing. They understood. They probably cut their marketing department in half, right, because yeah. of budget reasons. So, like, they just... 
They, like, they're demanding efficiency. I took a Photoshop class once. I yeah. can make it next week. <laughs> yeah. And they just, it wasn't even just ideas. It was like vendors. Like they wanted us to get three bids from yeah, the vendor the we worked with. And then it's like, you go to the client and they're like, I don't, I don't know. Like, isn't it your yeah. job to know? And it is. It's our job right. to know. Mm-hmm. So like, I will get bids from three vendors and I will pick the one and then I will present that yeah. to the client. But So there's a couple things from that. So one, at the last company I worked for, um, we were always like bidding, right? We weren't on retainer unless it was a loyalty program because we did right. contests, sweepstakes, advert games, that kind of stuff. And so a lot of times like we'd get a, you know, inbound lead or whatever and we weren't sure if it was just, is this a legitimate opportunity or is this them just trying to get a bid to meet their quota from their procurement director? And we got to a point where we just started saying, hey, is this real or are you just – because if you just yes. want like a crap bid, we'll just – we'll give you something in a second. And that actually started to work. I love it. I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. Because I would say, yeah, it's, this, this is BS. Yeah. Just, just give me one piece yeah, of Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I was happy to, do, to not waste my time on that. Yeah. In fact, give me one that says this number because I really want you to overbid <laughs> so I can show that I want to work with this guy. <laughs> the, uh, the other part of it is with this – like let's give them three ideas or whatever, and it and it really what happens is it dilutes the value and impact of each individual idea because yeah. that's what we do every time. You know, we'd have a sales meeting with someone. They'd say, "Okay, can you think of an idea around this?" And we'd come back and do a pitch meeting with three to four ideas and cost and timing for each. Right, knowing damn well we're like we're really keen on idea one. Yeah. Maybe idea two. Idea three is like the it's going to cost so much, and if they yeah. do it, awesome. But we know it's out of their uh, a lot budget. Of profit on that show, one. Yeah, and, and a lot of it was like let's show them something that's higher, so that they're not so scared by like the what they want that it has a high price tag. And this one, we're going to have a truck powering the entire <laughs> show. They all yeah, have to have idea three is going to cure global warming. Yeah. So if you guys want to do that? Let us know. Yeah. <laughs> what? And and oh, and we'll have helicopter shots. Yeah. Helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> what happens with that though? I think it's actually representative of a larger not just like a business mindset but how we tend to approach things where we think like we have to be everything and it doesn't really work because then you, you dilute your own value like, yeah. like it's like i get mad when let's say i'm on tinder or whatever and the profile of the girl will say i love going out with friends i'm also down to just hang out with sweatpants <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah. so so you're nothing. Yeah. I'll be whatever you want me to be. I love me. dogs. Cats are cool too. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I, I'm racist, but if you're not, I can fix that. I can fix that too. That's cool. Like, I'm into that. <laughs> Please date me. Yeah, I just, I don't know what, like, it's almost, it, it's, it's in a way, it's like a FOMO yeah. based mindset yeah. Yeah. where it's like, if, you, if you're not hitting every single thing, then yeah. shit, like, you, you're, yeah. you're going to miss out. But if you, you're throwing things everywhere, then you have no chance to be precise with any right. one thing. When it's also it's the it's the covering your butt mentality. Like mm-hmm. that's just like, okay, like we went in with one idea and we failed, and then the boss is like, well, why didn't you give two ideas? Right. right. And you're like, I just lost my job, right? Or like, so there's this fear of like it's it's like I need to cover my back. I need to. So hey, we we gave them six ideas. They're just a difficult client because they didn't like any. It's like, well, maybe all six ideas were bad. I don't know. But like, so I think there's, I I saw a lot of it was just to like cover their back. So like the, the creative brief was written in a way. So it was like, and then the creatives would be like, well, the brief wasn't written right. Or then the, well, the creative, like everyone just covered their back and it was so siloed and so department. And there was never like, and I don't know if it's because of failure or top management, but there was never like a very top there was no one to be like, let's sort through this out, right? There was no like homeland security to be like, what's the FBI doing? Let's let's get them all together, right? Like yeah. it was it was very like this. The silos were there, and then the people with it's their fault, their fault. They're like, well, okay, we'll just get them on the next try, you know? Like, yeah, and the issue is, it becomes like with each new employee that's added and each new department that's created, it becomes exponentially harder to not just put band aids on things. Um, or, yeah, you, you have to rely on that because you're like, well, we don't have the time to do a mass overhaul of our system. I mean, right. we're a two-man operation, and we even are, like, struggling to be like, are we, are we going to sit down and think of the long term of this and what mm-hmm. we need to change, like, infinitely, yeah. not and just, like, what's going to... constantly every day. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's you think because you think size would give you that ability, and yet it, it's the opposite. But, it, yeah, it, yeah. it creates... Um, 
Am I using bureaucracy bureaucracy in the right way? But you spend more time managing when you're going to get together than actually working on the actual idea, like with long-term strategies. Like, oh, well, the next strategy meeting will be three months from now, and then we'll get it together. And then everyone's late. But then no one comes prepared to the strategy. Everyone's everyone's unprepared, everyone's late, and then you're like, all right, well, now we know we need to do this, so we'll set it for another month from now, right? And that gets delayed three more months. Yeah. Well, and to that, I think that's where, now that it is our own operation, where we can take some of these things, and it's not like you know we're not building an advertising company, you and I, Martin, but we take some of those things that just pissed us off from before, mm-hmm. and we're like, let's not do that, right? right. So totally. like right. your big thing at your company was you're like, I felt like no one was listening to each yeah. other, right? Yeah. Now it's like <laughs> we sit down and we're like, fucking listen to me, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, like just before this, you're like, I got this text from our from our friend who's like gonna walk us through like how to create this new Facebook type thing, and I was like, all right. I need to give you my full attention, so I'm going to go to the bathroom first. <laughs> because this is going to be like a real conversation. This yeah. is going to be like me on my phone over here. Yeah. And we have this, we talk about deep work a lot, which is, I'm sure you guys yeah. have heard mm-hmm. of it, but it's like no distractions. Like, you know, the phones are, are off. When you go to the board, the other person doesn't just pick up their phone and start texting. Yeah. Because then neither Send of you, emails yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, they're talking, so I'm on my phone. But then no one's engaged and the meeting is completely unproductive. Yeah. yeah. And so how do we turn these things, like we've all kind of taken these ideas and we've seen like there's so much opportunity here for speed, efficiency, uh, new ways of doing things. What are some of the opportunities that come out of these frustrations? I think, and this may not answer your question directly, but I think like in order to turn that culture of like, uh, let me text while you're on the board or let me like, let me, let me change the garbage while we record a podcast. Uh, um, <laughs> that's what's happening over there. The current flaw. <laughs> yeah, the, cur- the current flaw right now. Uh, soundproof room, no. Um, I think like the, there's a, in my experience at like more traditional mindset companies, there's uh, a, sort of, they don't value productivity, they value like amount of work, right? So like, yeah. I worked 80 hours this week, I worked 120 but like, what did you, what, and you produced one deck for a pitch, like that seems crazy. Like you're obviously not very productive. And I think we like, so we look at, oh man, that was great. They, they spent, they were overnight doing that. They were here all night. And it's like, did they have to be? Like, that seems crazy. Like, so I think like, if you do something in one hour and it's awesome and you're super productive in that hour, that should be the same as eight hours of something, right? Like, so I think like, once we start to look at like, once people, and not, not just like, necessarily managers but like individuals at companies are like how am I the most productive did, what did I get done what did I accomplish and was it worth the effort I put into it then you start to sort of get past a lot of that like busy work or like meetings that are necessary or some of the flaws that happen with like the waste and we, we become more efficient and I think that's like a so that's like a mindset shift I think that I would like to see yeah the other opportunity I feel like we've uncovered is the opportunity to be wrong the reason why um, everything is such a big deal at traditional agencies is because budgets are so big and people think for some reason that they need to be. So like the budget of creating a TV spot is exponentially larger than the budget allocated to making a Facebook video. And when you are creating marketing for social media, you have the opportunity to invest small and test things much more easily than you do in the traditional advertising route. Um, and it's great and people love that opportunity to be wrong and that's why you only have to present one idea that's good because you can try it and if it's not verified then you can try another idea but you have that opportunity to test and like really actually test not just like say you're testing and learning but really you're making a half million dollar video for no apparent reason like (laughs) you're actually just like making a short video testing it on Facebook seeing how people respond to it and then changing your story or optimizing it to make sure that it's resonating with the audiences that you want it to. But you can be wrong, and that's okay, and it's an amazing opportunity to be able to be wrong. And you need to build that relationship with your client so they let you be wrong. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of of companies are on short leases because there's not a lot of trust there, and so when thing goes wrong, they lose the client. But they haven't actually built that relationship with the client where it's like, we're just going to be honest with you, man. I don't really know. Let's yeah. try this out, right? Like, just like, and if you lose them, you lose them for that. But, like, I think most, in our, in our experience, most people react to, like, these people are honest. We like them. We like working with them. Yeah. So we have a little bit of a longer leash, but and, and we can test and learn, and we can experience things. And part of that is some of the clients we're working with are a little less sophisticated, right? So they are a little, they're, they're a little more open to the testing and learning. But 
part of that is also just like the relationship we build with them. Like we have long-term relationships and we're not trying to like upsell them on everything and every moment's not like, oh, we can make some money here. Let's try to give them the helicopter idea, right? Like we just do what they need and what they want. And I think that builds relationship where like, oh yeah, that didn't work out. That's okay. Let's try it again. And we do have clients even at our, even at our, clients that we're working with that are more upstart companies, the people we're working with there come from larger brands or larger agencies and they love the new model. They're like, oh, this is so great. Like we can just cut all the bullshit and just really do good work together and try things out. So even when right. we are working, you know, with more, uh, with more traditional mindset, people mm-hmm. who came from a more traditional yeah, uh, exactly. place. They love the opportunity to create these challenger brands and to do it in a different way than they're used to doing it. Yeah, and I think with that, I guess, current model of let's try and be perfect all the time, what it creates is, so the relationship is built on a facade, right? Like this is the image you have of us, so we're going to be that. If the image you have is, hey, we're going to test some things out so we can figure out what works, that's the right. That's the right. image, and then you play to that. Yeah, but right. if the, better right. but if the image, yeah, and if the image and the, the messaging you put into the pitch meetings is, we have ninety nine point nine percent uptime, and if you like, yeah. you know, like which exactly. is what a lot of people and here's pitch. the hours allocated, yeah, and, and all that like, stuff. <laughs> so then, if you ever back off from that, like that, that's a selling point until you have to live up to it. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> my, fr- my freshman year roommate had a great way of putting this. He goes, "On the first date, I'm always late." <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Expectations set. I can only go up from here. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I think that like, um, and also like, frankly, like it just price is a is is a factor, right? Like, if you if you've got a hundred employees and your office is you know a two story suite and you know I mean like you got a lot of overhead. There's a certain number you can't go under. If your clients who are paying a premium price. They want a premium. They don't want you to test and learn because it's expensive for you to test and learn. Mm. If you're not that expensive to test and learn, they're more willing. So a lot of it too is just like, yeah, honestly, this is a lower risk for me. So I'm willing to make like a lower financial risk. Great. Like people get that. If you're coming in and you got 10 people at the pitch and there's this awesomely designed deck that took 80 hours to design and like they're going to expect a premium. Like they're not going to want that test and learn. And I think that play like that frankly just plays a role in there's a lot of companies out there that can't do that. They just have too much overhead. They have to survive and they need, they need this, this is what it costs. Yeah, it's kind of like Apple, Google. Like Google will come out with it and then like it's it comes out in beta and right. slowly gets better. And then Apple's like, nope, that's the final yeah, one. this is it. Yeah. 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 Finish. And then what all the big agencies are doing now to try and compete is like creating their smaller 2.0 agency. Like, isn't that cute? And we gave it this cute name. <laughs> And so, like, now we're, like, so cute and we can do anything you guys want for cheap. But it's not because it's just the same people that were working at the bigger agency that have the same mentality on a smaller budget. Yeah. yeah. It's a structural thing. Like, it comes down. I think that when we talk about the flaw, like, it's just how things are structured. It's, like, makes it really hard to be what everyone says there, which is agile and quick. and It's just, like, it's hard. It's really hard for that to do that when you're built like a dinosaur. And that's why it's so important to, you know, whatever you're doing whether it's starting a company, whether it's getting a job somewhere, protecting the integrity that you want to have from the start, like that's going to set the pace for everything that happens from there on out. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were at an event and I got into a conversation with this dude in finance and telling him about, you know, I was like, yeah, we have this cool online class helping people make career changes and become influential in their field. And I was like, we had seven people in our first run. We've got nine for our second. We're shooting for 20 in the third run of it. And he's like, well, how are you going to scale that? And I'm like, relax. Because <laughs> yeah. he was asking the details. And I was like, you know, like we do weekly check-ins with, with the group. We They get they get a couple one-on-one phone calls Here's with us. Here's the book. It's called uh, how, how to Do Things That Don't Scale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and it's, it's like... I was telling him, I was like, you know, we have a very, it's an online class, but we have a very hands-on approach with it. And so he's like, well, like, how are you going to get that to 100 people in class? And I'm like, let me figure out the yeah. things I want to be in the 100-person exactly. class. Or like, also, like, what maybe are, not my goal. Right. Right. Like, that's not bad. Exactly. You know, like, this idea of, like, you got to start three and in a year be 50, that's insane. That's yeah. insane. Like, and people scale outside their revenue. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they're in the same position. It's like, you don't need 
to like we value size it's just like that's that's like a donald trump mentality like it's not like don't be so like excited about like i have so many people now who i'm the boss of it's like that's stupid yeah. like yeah. why do you want so many people like, we're looking like, at the wrong metrics yeah i think because like and going off what all you guys are saying it's like you need to know you need to first of all set a clear expectation up front but in order to set that expectation you need to know what you're doing internally right and then in order to know what you're doing internally, you need to know who you are. And so if you're not living a very agile life, you're not going to be able to have an agile company. So like, <laughs> if, right, if you have a huge mansion and a place in you know, a, a summer home and really nice cars and all this stuff, well, then you're not going to be able to, you're probably going to be getting a huge office too, yeah. which is going to have a ton of overhead. And then you're going to have to do certain things like put up a certain persona for your clients so you can charge more. So that it can afford the office and afford the house and afford the boat and like all that stuff kind of comes back to you. And so the people that I love are like uh, Casey Neistat who like you see his entire life on YouTube every day and, and like he'll release stuff and he'll he's screwing up all the time right. in that. He's like right. crash my drone. Yeah. It like it, it cut out and like I don't know I'm like standing on the beach waiting for it to come back. And so when he does a drone video for someone they're like he might lose the drone. Right. But then we'll have that lost drone footage, and that would be yeah. fun. And, like, I think he went to the Oscars for Samsung with, like, a 360 camera. Oh, nice. And, like, it was, like, in the uh, mini bar, like, in the thing, and he's, like, closed it. It's, like, shaking. Like, the whole thing's messy, but, like, that's what they're going for because they know what they're trying to accomplish, and it's all set up ahead of time. So when he drops the camera during the shoot, it's just part of the shoot now. Right. Yeah. And I, I kind of love that. So, like, if you know who you are and you know how you live your life, then you can start setting those ex expectations down down the road, and I think those huge agencies and those big, you know, like you're you're stuck. You're the dinosaur. You've got you've got that office on on uh, on the river. Yeah, you've got to pay for it. Totally. <laughs> there yeah. is no testing in that case. I thought that was a really good point. And there and there and and the pressure for them is real. Like you know, if you're an EVP at one of these agencies, like you got fifty, a hundred employees. Like yeah. you. You feel responsible for those for those lives, like that's real. And I think a lot of those people, like they take it seriously. So, like for them, it's like, oh my god, like a five percent dip in income, like I'm cutting twenty jobs. Yeah, right. you know, like it's real for them. This is not just like we're playing king in a castle. Like, yeah, it's real. And so, like when you're start, like for us, when we're starting the company, like it's real for me. Like if I hire an employee, that's someone's life. That like mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna help this person yeah. create a life. So like. Yeah. I want to make sure that I'm not hiring five people, getting people to leave jobs, getting people to yeah. do things, and there's not a solid foundation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that happens a lot. Like yeah. at these smaller, still I call them traditional mindset, but they're they're not yeah. the big ones. They're smaller. They get people from secure jobs, and those people don't understand that like the foundation's not really like yeah. they're not acting like a startup. So people don't think they're a startup, but like they're a client away from closing the door. Yeah. And I think people like Oh, this is a secure job. This is safe. Yeah. It's like they have no. this fancy office. Yeah, yeah. Like, because they got these other people from fancy jobs to come. And they all got. Here. And now we have to fire you because yeah. we have to pay for the fancy office. Exactly. <laughs> right, and they pay us a lot, so also, I'm sure it's fine because right. they pay us. And a the lot. benefits are great, and yeah. we, and like you know, we get to meditate. It's like okay, so like, <laughs> dude, like you're like, and then like in three months, thirty percent of the staff's laid off, and yeah. people are like, oh, I guess this place. Was oh, I guess I needed the meditation. Right, yeah. it's like <laughs> I needed to cope, but I maybe don't have leather couches. Thank God I know how to meditate. <laughs> this is great. Well, and like, I, I remember from our last conversation, you guys were saying, um, you know, you you had that one guy come on, and then, but he was like so good, that's why you wanted him to come on, right? He was such a great filmmaker. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't the fact that you wanted him at your company. You wanted to help him grow his career with that company, and then move on to whatever he's going to do next. And I think, as as you're kind of creating these agile businesses that, um, you know, grow and flux so much, basically. Like, we're, we're kind of moving into this contractor economy, I think, like this idea of economy where everyone has their own, they are their own business, and then you come together to create things together. Um, but I also think like, if you're going to start a business and bring people in, you need to be training those people so that in case the business ever fails, they're not, their lives aren't over just because yes. the business is gone. Like they're not hinged like they can actually right. go off and create their own business off right. of that yeah. or something like that. I think that's a really good mindset. And there's, I think there's so much of like, professional development that's like 
geared at like title, right? So it's like you're a junior account. It's like this is what you do to become like the associate account, mm-hmm. and then your associate, and like that's not necessarily life a life skill, right? That's just like here's how you can sort of like check the boxes, put your five years in, then you're gonna be this, yeah. right? But like if that goes away, like how does that person go to another company that may define that differently, or how does someone right versus like this is how you can actually like be a good employee. Like we're gonna I'm gonna help you figure out like how to make people's lives easier because then you're going to be employed for life. Exactly. And so I think that's sort of what you're talking about, what we wanted to do with With, that individual. We'll call him Johnny because that's his name. The generic uh, name Johnny. He's a perfect example because he's, we were on a shoot with him last weekend. So when we were working at our old agency, Johnny interned for us. And the natural progression was obviously that he would get a job with us because he was extremely talented and did such good work well beyond what a 21 year old should have been doing. And so Brian and I refused to hire him because we were like, you are so much better than working at an ad agency. You have a lot of failing to do and like you need to go do that. And so I think obviously at the time he was like, what the fuck? Like I was just the best intern ever. I wanted to work here, whatever. And we were like, nah, not going to happen. And thank God we didn't. He is so much more successful than we are now. And he is crazy. I mean, he has this amazing life. He is completely living his dream and so talented. And he, we still hire him as a DP, as a director of photographer, uh, for photography, and get to work with him. And, like, still, in, and now I would love to hire him. We can't. There's no, no, no. He, he, he wouldn't want a job. He wouldn't want a job. I mean, the guy's, like, now. mini Instagram celebrity now because he's so talented. He's, like sponsored by like a bunch of different companies. I mean like he has his own company like it's crazy to think like where he went and if he if we had offered him a job he would have took it and none of that he would have been happy maybe like I don't know like I'm yeah. not saying I'm not saying he would have been like killing himself or anything like that but like he it's just like it's clear as day like it was just a better move for him and like and I'm, we I'm did, taking all the credit for it that when we <laughs> were, when we <laughs> were 22 and 23 we did that we yeah. went and like Followed our dreams and failed hard and like learned about life and like, I didn't fail, but that's okay. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. a little bit, you know, every now and again. Um, and I think that's so important because that's what makes you a whole person. That's what gives you an understanding of the human experience and makes you a better storyteller. Um, so yeah, I mean, we we encourage people that age to like not take a traditional job with a big firm because it has a bigger paycheck or it seems like the right thing to do or all your friends are doing it or your parents want you to do it or whatever it is because there will come a time in your life when you can't make such gutsy choices anymore. And so the time is right when you're coming out of school and when you're early in your career to do whatever the hell you want and figure it out and become the whole person that you're supposed to be. And then if you want to take a job at Leo Burnett later, you can always do that. Yeah. I mean, I think think that like the another flaw like to keep it on theme is like complacency right so i feel like um this idea of like job security and that like oh i'm in a safe place i'm in a stable place like it's i can't start my own company because it's too risky this job is much more secure i think that like creates a level of complacency that i think is just false like i don't think people who work i didn't i didn't know this until i started my own company like how even huge companies like month to month revenue wise like it's tenuous like it's not like this it's never like i mean unless you're at like google or apple right like right. most cfos are stressed out all the time because they're like <laughs> how am i gonna pay for all this stuff like maybe the apple cfos chill but like everyone else is probably really freaking out like and 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 i think you're you know at a big company small company any company like, your average employee doesn't they're not in the finance meetings right they're not like yeah, yeah, looking yeah. at spreadsheets like and i'm not saying they they're have to the happy hours. but yeah but there's a complacency <laughs> on the company card don't understand like you know what like if oil prices drop we're gonna lose this client and that's <laughs> right like things that have no you have no control over right no control over can cost you your job and i don't think people understand that and so i think that's not to say that therefore everyone should go start their own company or be a freelancer because jobs are stupid. Like some people are better off in that scenario, yeah. but they need to understand that like it's not, it's not necessarily safer. Right. Yeah. That's why I think, so I was just having this conversation with a friend yesterday. Um, it should be the responsibility of an employer to let every employee know how their job impacts the larger mission of what the yeah. company is trying to accomplish. Because if you have an attachment to that, then you're much less likely to be the person who's like, I just I check in at nine, I check out at five, and that's it. If you know why your job matters, mm-hmm. and then you also start to think about, all right, what else do I know that can help me be the best at this job? Mm-hmm. And then there's a better relationship you develop with your employer. Then, and on the flip side, so like we were talking to someone um, who's like a director at a branding agency recently, 
And we were just like floored when he said, my goal is to make everyone who works here happy. I hope that's here. If it's not, I'm going to help them be happy wherever they need to be happy. Yeah. That's I love <laughs> yeah. it. That's great. I love it. And, and if I think what would be interesting if that experiment became nationwide, like, you know, this was, this was standard practice to yeah. let people understand how – and they'd realize, like, some of these people, their jobs aren't important here. Like, they're actually, yeah. and it's, like, a harsh thing to say, but, like, if you're one of those people and you're like, you know what, I could not show up for a week and nothing would change at the company. Like, maybe you should go some. like, you should want to go somewhere. You should want to, yeah. or, or figure out what you're doing wrong, right? right. Or and find it, a place in the company. Right. You may not be doing anything wrong, though. It just maybe yeah. they have more staff than they need. Right. Well, and, I, and you know, my first company I worked at, you, it, the day I realized I couldn't get fired was the day I was like, shit, I have to quit. Like, this right. is, like, I have a terrible manager and she she can't get fired. And so, like, I'm never going to get fired and I'm going to be here for 40 years. Like, that's not, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. you, didn't, you didn't want the gold watch? <laughs> that lesson, that lesson. No. Thanks. Yeah. Enjoy and retirement. I was like, I, I, like, talked to some VPs. I was like, I don't want that job. And um, and I remember, like, so we're, we're all talking today because a friend of ours, Grant, mm-hmm. introduced us. And I met him in college when my dad introduced me to him because he worked at Leo Burnett and my dream was to live in the corn cobs and work at Leo <laughs> Burnett and I was like my commute would be just walk across the river if you <laughs> and like I talked to him and like I ended up never getting a job at Leo Burnett and what's funny is I was talking to I actually got coffee with him last week and I was like I'm so happy that dream didn't come true because yeah. I've looked at the apartments in the corn cob building. And they're <laughs> awful, and I've talked to people. It's who called the corn cob building. <laughs> <laughs> I love the everyone is a tenant is a colonel. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I, I, it's what? funny because like looking at that dream now, I'm like, that's so far from anything I want yeah. today. And like, what I'm doing right now is so much just more interesting on a daily basis than what I pictured my life being at that time. Probably. And so. Yeah, I don't know. I think, like, going back to this whole goal-setting thing and knowing yourself, it's like, the goals that we set, even when we think we're so right. sure of things, right. unless you're doing it, actively doing it, you right. have no clue what these goals really are. I've always said it's more important, it's better to find out what you don't want than what you do want. Yeah. Because, like, it's easy to be like, I want, but, like, you may not know what you don't want to do. And when you find that out, what you want to do becomes really yeah. clear, or at least more clear. And I also think the company you work for is way more important than the job that you have. So, like, that was a huge lesson that I learned um, because I had my super dream job, but I worked for a terrible company. And so at the end of the day, I would come home and be like, well, that was a fun day working for a company that doesn't value me at all and I kind of hate. So you really can't ultimately be fulfilled unless you're working for a great company. And even when you're starting out, if you can get a job that's, like, not your ideal job with a company that is your ideal company, you can work your way You can find your way, yeah. Totally, totally, (laughs) totally. So, I mean, I think that's a huge opportunity for people to know when they're getting started, too, or when they're thinking of making a career change or a job change. Sometimes it's more about, it's less about the job that you want to change to and more about, like, the life you want to change to and the company you want to have as your home during the day. Uh, there's also a great distinction in there where it's like, it's some people will take the job title at a bad company. Some people will take the company with a bad job title. Some people will do the thing in the middle, which is a, a company they don't want to work for and a job title <laughs> they don't want. And then they'll be like, but I can find my way to the job title I want at a company I don't want to be at. Right. And I've talked to a lot of people that have done that where they're like, well, I want to get to that job title. I know that company has that job title. I don't know much about that company, but I'll get there someday. And then they never get there because they don't actually like the company. And right. so they're just stuck in this role they don't like at a company they don't like floundering. And also, like, just don't chase job titles. Like, it, that's just crazy to me. Like, yeah. job t- I, you want to come work at our company? You can be the CEO. I don't care. Like, job yes. titles are pointless. But, like, <laughs> I, just, give away CEO. I just don't care. Like, it's just, to me, it's like, it's like, cool everything. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't say what it stood for. <laughs> I just said you could have those letters if you really want those letters. <laughs> that's really, like, but all it is is, like, so you feel good at a cocktail party. You know, like. When those I titles just, are copy-pasted from other people's job like yeah. listings like yeah. job listings aren't real right. they're just copy pasted frankensteins right. from other job listings on google mm-hmm. that no one knows what they mean until you're actually in the interview and like yeah. you, and, and and don't allow if you're at a company that has job titles which most of them do that's cool but don't allow it to limit what you are like don't be like well i'm just a junior exec yeah. iconic right that's not my role it's like what's it's your, your role title? what what's your job title 
Oh, for Idea Lemon? Yeah. Ambassador of Austin. And I'm the investigator of Austin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the intern. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm right, an intern. The intern. Yeah. We don't have titles except I get for Brian. Yeah, intern. I mean, I'm an intern. Also, also head of HR. I mean, you have to, <laughs> I think people get obsessed with titles, too, because they look at them as a ladder to their next title. So mm-hmm. it's like, what am I right. going to put on my resume that people are going to allow to be my ladder to the next title? And that's like a real thing. Like, yeah. th- I get that. Like, people need that. Like, that's a real thing because that's how people are employing and part of like fixing those flaws is like as employers people who are hiring we need to think like outside of like what college did you go to and what job title did you just have like let's think about people like I don't resumes are irrelevant to me like I don't like I don't really care. Like yeah. I, I want to see if you can write and if you can speak, and then like, we'll a... work, let's work this out. I actually use resumes to make sure that people know whether or not they have an ugly resume. Because if right. someone <laughs> is sending us an ugly resume, then how am I going to trust them to produce content for yeah, us? Because yeah. the resume That's is ugly. Fair, yeah. But other a... than that, I don't really care what's in it. Stand out somewhere. There's a quote <laughs> from Chris Saka, the investor, and he says, uh, "What does he say? He said people who look at your GPA." have no other reason to find you interesting. And I think the same thing is true for a resume. Absolutely. People who take your resume seriously have no other reason to find you interesting. And the best is when the GPA is on the resume. And it's just like a total, like, <laughs> I got nothing to say now. My favorite thing is, like, I'll talk to someone and be like, well, I didn't get a pay raise, but I got a title raise. And I'm like, what is a title raise? Because the title that they gave you was arbitrary in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. It was and, a, a, and then like you'll quit and you'll be like, oh, well, now I can just make up whatever title I wanted at that company because yeah. no one's there to verify it. <laughs> like, yeah. So I was the, because uh, it'll be like intern on the job description. People are like, that's all I can put on my resume. It's like, intern of what? Like, yeah. Yeah. you can write what you did. <laughs> like, yeah. No one's gonna, yeah. yeah. The, 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 one of the many lessons that stood out to me at film school, which was had nothing to do about filmmaking, was... Uh, I forgot who I think it might have been my cinematography teacher or someone, but there's a, there's a thing in Hollywood like this is a real thing where they'll say you want money or credit, and they'll t- so people who are like a little bit less established working their way up they'll say like we'll pay you this and we'll credit you or we'll pay you more and we won't give you any credit, <laughs> right? And so like it's still your work you can still use it it's not that they take the work but like just you may not appear like in small print on your scroll and so people take money and credit and they take less money wow. I thought that was insane I was like wow. I'm always gonna take more money but like. They're they're literally using the power of ego, the power of like I need to be recognized because I don't I'm not fulfilled myself to save money on projects. Like it's fascinating to me. So like that was something that just stuck with me was like money or credit. So whenever I hear that, I got I got a bump in titles. Like you took credit, you didn't take money. That's interesting. (laughs) Is that why Ben Stiller is unlisted in Happy Gilmore? Probably. Yeah, I want some more money. (laughs) Is that true? Yeah, it was a big fight. We're like, that's Ben Stiller. My brother's like, we were kids, and we're like. Yes, it is. He's not in the credits. Yes, yeah. he is. He's not in the credits. <laughs> I mean, at that point in his career, he yeah. might have. It, that could have been. It's usually hey, for heavyweights like, had already come out by that. It's, yeah. it's, usually, it's usually for like crews because the, the the screen actors guild is like a little yeah. more like yeah, intense yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff. But yeah. it could have been. That's interesting. There's so uh, a little bit of a transition here, but this idea of making flaws out of, or making opportunity out of flaws. Um, there's. I, I just wrote about this last week, but I think it's relevant here. Is have you read Malcolm Gladwell's David and Goliath by chance? No. You, in particular, would really like it. <laughs> it's the art of... It, it's called David and Goliath, like, Outlaws, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. Oh, nice. All right. <laughs> so it's how does small be big? And one of the concepts he brings up is what he calls the theory of desirable difficulty, and that is that your perceived disadvantages actually can be used as an advantage. Mm. So... I'll just do the little like rundown of it. So he uses this example with this. You may have heard this math problem before. A bat and a ball costs a dollar and ten cents combined. The bat costs a dollar more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? Got a whiteboard here. If you guess <laughs> ten cents. Ten cents. So that's the gut this reaction like answer. Right? Yeah. This is like a trick yeah. question. But if it costs a dollar more, then that would mean ten cents plus a dollar ten ah. equals one twenty. Ah. So it's actually the ball costs five cents. Ah. Right, <laughs> so, <laughs> so they gave this test, you know, and I got. Well, I went to film school, so math not cool, dude. Well, not cool. It's interesting. No, right? no one in this room likes math. That yeah. was a really mean thing yeah. to do. They give they give that test to MIT, Harvard, Stanford students, yeah. and they all get it wrong too. They all say ten cents. Yeah. Then to improve the results on the test, they made it harder. They made it so you know it's, it's written on the page, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of me orating it, right. But then they made it smaller font, italicized, and gray on white page. 
So it was like really hard to read, which made you like focus and look at it for longer. And then you're like, oh, oh, okay. Because you're thinking about it for so much longer. Then you're like, oh, the answer is five cents. And the idea there is it's a desirable difficulty. It was actually, it worked in your favor that the the process became harder. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then he uses an example of like, like dyslexic is dyslexic are dyslexics are the classic example of this where there's a ton of dyslexic people who are super successful, many of which are CEOs, because their dyslexia forced them into a situation when they were young where they couldn't coast and had to get in, had to like find creative ways to solve problems. So one of the guys he uses is actually a uh, producer in Hollywood, Brian Grazer, mm-hmm. if you yeah, with him, yeah, yeah. right? So like Beautiful Mind, American yeah. Gangster, 24. I think Arrested Development too. Like everything. Yeah. I mean, like every <laughs> every Jerry right? Brockheimer. I mean, like the guy early every like the guys produced so many. So he is dyslexic, and from a very young age, like he was getting F's, D's, and C's all through school. But he figured out he's like, I got to do something here to to sway it back in my favor. So what he did was from high school onward, every test he got, he would go to the teacher and challenge the grade. And he's like, and I would just wear them down. Like, I, he's like, I figured out how to argue and negotiate. And I got, he's like, 99% of the time, I got a D raised to a C and a C raised to a B. And so he didn't have tremendous grades, but he figured out because of his desirable difficulty of dyslexia, dyslexia it was desirable because it made him learn negotiation and persuasion. And that obviously is something you need if you're going to climb the ranks in Hollywood. Yes. And your inability to pronounce dyslexia. Yeah. <laughs> your is the reason you're a rapper. <laughs> I will rhyme this word. I think, I think that's true. I think if I'm reflecting on my own desirable difficulty, it's actually being a mom. Being a mom is really difficult. And if I could punch every person that says, how do you do it all? I would. Um, so never ask that to a working because, mom because she doesn't because she doesn't do it all. <laughs> the reason why I'm a, a desirable difficulty is because I leave every day by five thirty because I want to go home and spend time with my son before he goes to bed, and it forces me to focus and to be efficient and to get the work done that I need to get done during yeah. the day so that I can leave and spend time with my kid and have my phone in the other room and pay no attention to it for two and a half hour chunk of time every single night. So it's it does make me much better at work. So the next time you feel yourself wanting to ask a working mom, but how do you do it all? Just like note, it actually is at some points kind of a leg up because I have a reason to get all my yeah. shit done yeah. and get home and shut down. That's why, yeah, and it, it's interesting because you have to be in some type of situation that forces action or, or if not direct action, force you to do things in a non-traditional way. Um, like, I think what Gladwell, this is a paraphrase of the quote he says in the book, but he's like, you know, no one who ever got A's their entire life, like, they got used to coasting, so they never had to, like, think hard about what they're going to do next. Mm-hmm. And what I think is interesting with that is, like, I was a pretty good student, but I had to, like, work. So, like, my older brother, he was, like, always getting straight A's and stuff. And then college hit, and he actually did pretty shitty in college because... The work got harder. Put, and <laughs> Put he him on blast. He, <laughs> he knows it. Uh, he didn't get. He didn't change any of his like behavior because he wasn't like never in a situation prior to that where he had to change his behavior or what right. he was going to do. Whereas in my case, like, so our high school was like a five point GPA system, right? Where you could you could actually get like a five point four was like your best because an A in an honors, honors class. Honors yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, my brother, I think, probably graduated with, like, a 5.2, 5.3. I graduated with, like, a 4.5, which is still good, but not, good. like, Indian good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's failure in Indian world, you know? <laughs> and oh, that's brilliant. I'm using that. <laughs> <laughs> not Indian good. But for me, like, the and looking back at it, it's like every, in a lot of cases, every A that I had to get, I was like, shit, what am I going to do to get this? And... Like, I remember there was a time, actually, where I noticed I, I'm, like, in whatever class, I got, like, a B-plus as the final grade or whatever that shows up as. And I went to the teacher. I was like, wait, but there were these three other extra credit assignments. Did you count those? And, like, I had to proactively think about, is she accounting for everything? And to the point now of me saying, like, I'm trying to become the world's best storyteller, I found at an early age, like, the written word is my path, not – or basically words are my path, not numbers. Mm-hmm. 
I got also against the grain of Indians. Right. <laughs> yeah. So but, you got to stop throwing so many numbers out in this game. <laughs> so you know, I, I have the DNA level of Indian mm. math, but not like like. But math and science weren't my thing. And I said, all right, what's the path I'm going to pick here? And not you know, it's not at the time I was like, I'm picking this, but I right. knew I was like, I'm just gravitating towards right. the thing that yeah. I feel like I can have the most impact in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's next? <laughs> <laughs> Awkward podcast silence. No, we we we've been we had a, one a couple of podcasts ago where we, I forced silence just for like long periods of time. He can't handle it. It's great. <laughs> it's already shaking. Um, it's already like <laughs> words. <laughs> no, that's the hangover. <laughs> yeah. But that is a common that's theme the that I've part. noticed in entrepreneurship. And so going back to your point of complacency, um, when. When you'll listen to like Tim Ferriss talk or something, he'll be like, or or Ramit Sethi, who's a big inspiration for us. Like he, they would get a grade, right? And they'd be like, "That's not the grade I got." And they would go in and they'd argue for like, I think this was a Tim Ferriss story. He's like, "I'd go in and I'd argue with the teacher about the grade for two and a half hours, and then every time I turned in a paper after that, he would have to weigh his options between giving me a B <laughs> or talking to me for two and a half hours, and he would always wait." me a little bit higher so that it, I would spend less time, but I'd still go in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, couldn't, you couldn't let him think, you know, yeah. can't let the teacher get complacent. And, and I definitely grew up in a mindset that's where um, what you got is what it is. And that's something that I've had to actively fight against as we've become further and further down the road of entrepreneurship. So like uh, I started out my, my job, my career with like, that's the role they gave me. That's the salary they gave right. me. Right. Okay. That's the promotion I got. That's the bump I got. Okay. That's what it is. And so then it, it took this like buildup of like more and more frustration over time to the point where I was like, all right, I have to quit things now. And like I have to like allow myself to become someone who quits things because I need to break this chain of saying okay to things. And the first time I did it was like the most horrible experience ever. Uh, like telling my parents I was gonna quit this like totally stable job and like all this stuff. Stable in quotes. Yeah, quote, quote unquote stable. <laughs> um, and so then like, uh, but then like, the next time I did it, the next time I quit a job was like way easier and like a much better conversation. It was more about like things aren't aligning, and if they're not gonna ever align, then we need to find a way to transition. Not I'm done today because right. we need to transition. And now it's like with stuff that we do today, it's like. Okay, so there are really no no's. It's just maybe the conversation happens needs to happen at a later date. And I think that that's a really interesting thing to have in your head. It's like if it's not happening today, it's probably because you're not ready for it to happen today. So just like keep working on whatever you're working on until the point where you're like, now this conversation can happen. Right. Yeah. That's absolutely true. I mean, I think at every single point in my life when I've been totally freaked out, I've been able to look back a year later and been like, oh, Right. Yeah. <laughs> that That's out. why that happened yeah. the way yeah. it did. You know, yeah. like that was exactly what was supposed to happen. And yeah. I, and yeah, it's all about time. And time hop is really funny right now on Facebook <laughs> because we, yeah. I just got the time hop today. We launched uh, the Curious Collaborative, I think like three or four years ago, where we were like, uh. we were like, uh, hey, here's this free 30 day challenge that we're trying to run and organize people around because we don't know how to monetize anything. <laughs> and we want to see if anyone's interested in what we do. And, like, it was, you know, moderate response and stuff. But, like, now I look back and I'm like, damn, like, we've come so damn far <laughs> in those three years. And it's just really funny, like, the conversations we had then was like, no one would ever pay for this. Story, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. no we were just like, this. we're like, oh, God, like, we, we wouldn't pay for it. So why would other people? So why are we creating it? Right. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. And, like, yeah. So I think it's really just a, yeah. a totally interesting change over time. Which, and that is a mindset change because, you know, I launched my online wrestling league community last week and it all it was was just me putting an email out to yeah. a bunch of people i know who are into wrestling or have been in their life and i said here's what i want to do my first question are you interested my second question would you pay any amount of money for this which is a question i never would have thought to ask before yeah, right. and so far the reaction has been maybe i'd like to see how it works first there's been some people who said no it's not worth anything to me and i'm like all right now i have something to work off of <laughs> instead of just forever in my head being like either i can't make money off of anything or well, let me just hide the fact that I'm trying to do something from people right. and hope one day they'll just shower right. me. Well, and the hiding thing, like, you need to show your flaws, even if, I mean, do it in a smart way, but, like, show your flaws, meaning, like, you don't know what the price is, so you need to ask. 
And if you're not doing that, how are you going to find the information? And I think too often we're like, it needs to be 100% perfect before I can launch it. So you might never launch it and never ask for money if you're waiting for it to be perfect. Yeah. And so like, because, because the technology and the overhead and everything is so easy now to see if your idea is plausible, you need to just put it out there, flaws and all. Like the the beta runs of our course were like we went back and looked at it and we're like oh I'm, my I'm clearing God. my throat on the video. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just like it's, it's terrible, but like that got us to verify that people would pay for something, which now we can you know create full. And, and I think like the the complacency or sort of like safety net point that we've been making is like so much of doing like implementing an idea that you're passionate about and want to do like is pushing past like every self-doubt you're going to have yeah. because it's going to come in like no matter how self-assured someone is like they're going to doubt something and it's actually good to doubt it because then that's how you that's how you fix it right like right. and so like but that's hard to do when you're like who's who no one's ever going to pay for this yeah all right well let's find out right like you just right. got to yeah. keep pushing through and like i i speak on a lot of film panels and there was a guy i speak on a panel with a lot who always says like the essence of art is not to exist so like there's such like this idea of like when you're creating art or creating like a movie or whatever, it's like, it doesn't want to exist and you got to push it to exist. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true about like entrepreneurship and business. Like this idea of like, it doesn't want to exist. You have to make it yeah. exist and I everything can happen that won't, that will stop it from existing except for you. And that, that's great. And there's, I've had millions of ideas that I was like, that's dumb. Never like, I'm a negative dude. Like I, I, I am like, I, view, hey, like, <laughs> I thought we decided we were realists. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a realist. I'm a realist. <laughs> Kate thinks I'm negative, but I just like, I tend to be like, this is dumb. Like, and, but for me, that's how I figure out like, can we make it better? Yeah. Can we, and, and that can, and he always comes back around. Yeah. And there's a, there's a positive <laughs> aspect, right? Finding your, 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 your negative thing can be a positive. It's also it could be negative. Like sometimes I just give up on stuff, yeah. right? Like I'm not act like but I've always know. done everything. Right. But like it's that negative energy can be good or can be destructive. It's how do you figure out yeah. how to like, and for me, like you said, like, cutting safety nets was yeah. a big thing for me. Cause it was like, I gotta do this. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. For, if it doesn't work, like, you know, and the longer you do any of this stuff, like I'm blown away by like, like three or four years ago, I would have seen these companies and been like, that is the greatest idea. I can't believe they're actually implementing it. That's phenomenal. That's going to be the most successful thing in the world. And then I'm like, where are all these companies? Right. Where did they go? Right. Like the place that we hosted our first events, like when yeah. they shut down, that was like a wake up call to me. I was like, Oh, I like nothing is a good thing. Like, no, like, it's real because yeah. we looked up to them as like, oh my god, they have their shit together. Mm-hmm. And then like we just slowly saw it kind of disappear, and we're like, okay, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> like um, anyone who's like, all right, next week we need to like really be like ramping up, and I'm like, you're just gonna do a really high jump and then a really fall crash, mm-hmm. like in 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 the way I look at things. So. And a lot Nothing. of that's because they wanted to scale. Yeah, they wanted yeah. to be yeah. big. They wanted yeah. to tell their mom, "I had a hundred, I have a hundred employees." Yeah. And they wanted to go to the cocktail party. They go, "How big are you? We're three. And the people roll their eyes. That's not real. Yeah, no, it's that's real. Yeah. Like, it's real because I'm paying my bills. Yeah. Ask me how so, many clients I have, cool. not how many employees yeah. I have. Or even ask me that's like. To me, that's a much more right. important, you know, like how many clients are engaging with you? Who's really buying what you're doing? Right. How many Who's clients like, are happy with my work? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. how many what's my, what's my retention rate? Do you have? I, I care know. so much more about how yeah. many repeat clients you have than yeah. how many logos you have on your website. Yeah. The, uh, those people don't really work with you anymore. One of the big things from all of this and this idea of making up opportunity out of flaws that I'm gathering here is that a flaw is not a flaw unless it's something that is put into action. If it's something that you say you're bad at or that you think you do that you know, as a business or as a person that you don't actually do, it's not a flaw because it can only be a flaw if it's received, if it has a way to have a reception to it, if it has a way to get feedback to it. So like people would be like, oh, I'm bad at public speaking, but they've never tried right. public speaking <laughs> yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. So that's not a flaw. That's right. just your own fantasy. Right. I could never do improv. No, you just haven't right. done it. Yeah. Right. And there's no way to make it an opportunity. Right. If it's right. just a thought in your head. And also I think like flaws aren't necessarily bad, right? Like I think like the word flaw, it, we just, we give a con- negative connotation to it. But like it, no one's perfect. Like we all have flaws. We've got problems. Like just deal with, deal with, like figure it yeah. out. But like a, a flaw, so flaws aren't like good, but they're not necessarily bad, right? Like I, so I, I think like a change in mindset of like, I, I think we, 
there's a lot of you know self improvement books out there, or whatever. People are like let's figure out what our flaw, mm-hmm. and it's like a lot of or, or they wanna they wanna focus on strengths, and let's figure out what your strengths are, and that'll make you a better person. It's like a lot of that is just like not giving extreme attributes to anything, right? Sometimes yeah. your strengths aren't good, right? Like so, like I think the idea of flaws being bad is not. It can make you better, and that's a good thing because yeah. like if you have the perfect business idea and you always think you have the perfect business idea, you're probably going to be out of business because A, your idea probably wasn't perfect and you weren't willing to like look at the flaws and see like, why is this not perfect? How can we fix this? Yeah. So that's why it's good to be negative. (laughs) One of my biggest flaws is keeping this podcast to an hour. (laughs) On that note, before we wrap up, Kate and Brian, where can our listeners find you? What are you working on? Yeah, so our website is srw.agency. There's no .com there. We're not commerce. You can go to srw.agency. That's what um, .com means? That's what .com means. Oh, yeah. my God. What? <laughs> I have no Wait, idea. What? Did we it's just commerce? Have a... No, we're not. Uh, no, we're we say not we're commerce. not commerce. But it might. I thought it was communication. <laughs> That's okay. So I think someone just patented no it and was like, I'm going to be a big <laughs> people yeah, use this. Right. We are not commers. Uh, <laughs> we have srw.agency as our site. And I would say actually the best place to find us though is on Facebook and Instagram because that's the best place to get a feel for what we're up cool. to, what we're working on, and um, who we are as who humans. Are. What's your tagline there again? Oh, yeah. quit advertising. Yeah. We did. <laughs> 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 And we do encourage uh, all of our clients to quit advertising. And we work uh, with a lot of different people on, um, you know, social media marketing. And we basically say that we build communities. We do that a lot of different ways. Digital communities are a great place to start. And we actually help people build real-life human communities, too. Ooh. Right? That's Ooh. a lost Retro. art. That's a lost IRL art. IRL in real life. <laughs> Kicking it back. Exactly. All right. So to wrap up, then we'll go around the room. We'll start with Mar- Martin, me, Brian, Kate. Does that work? Cool. Martin, how do you turn flaws into opportunities? I saw this uh, video this morning called "The Weakness of Strength," and the concept behind it was, um, whenever you're interacting with someone and you start to see their weaknesses, right? Like at first, like uh, th- they talk about relationships. So like at first, you'd be like, "Oh, this person's perfect in every way," and then like slowly you start seeing their weaknesses. And what they're saying is, like, people will look at that and be like, oh, no, that person's flawed now. I have to go find someone who isn't flawed. But really, all that the flaws are is just the opposite side of the strengths that you were originally attracted to in that person. And so if uh, the example they give is this writer who meticulously will take so much time on every sentence that they ever write. And, like, it's perfect by the time they're done because they take a long time and they consider every option. So every paragraph, every sentence, every word is, like, well thought through. But that also, that same exact behavior makes them terrible for ever showing up on time to a dinner or to ever, like, keep their plans or anything like that. Because they're going to constantly, up until the last minute, be considering every option and, like, not, like, taking their time. And so what they say in this video is, like, every flaw is just a reflection of someone's strengths. So if you're looking at their flaws, try and see what the strength is on the other side. And also, if you're initially enamored with someone, be aware that the things you're initially enamored with have opposites on the other side. Interesting. That's what I've learned in the dating world. <laughs> Thanks, Tinder. Profile picture. A girl may find uh, my drive attractive until it's not attractive anymore. <laughs> um my answer is similar to that, and I'll use the Gladwell phrase of the desirable difficulty. Whatever you perceive a flaw to be, look at it instead as a desirable difficulty. So therefore, what does that one thing you're bad at make you like super good at because you're bad at that one thing? I would say like uh, accept that everyone is wrong. Like just understand that like you're <laughs> not just understand that you're wrong. Not not always, but like I, there's I hear so much about like. And where we used to, you know, previous places I worked at, like, well, this is how it's done. <laughs> oh, okay, that's oh, how it's yeah, done. So, so. Well, that's how they do it. Oh, okay, so, like, forget all my questions. Like, let's just keep doing it, right? So, like, you can be wrong, like, and that's okay. And so, like, accept that you might be wrong. Think about it. You might find out you're right, but, like, listen, like, don't just assume that, like, your political point of view or, like, your business point of view or everything, all your point of views are perfectly right and everyone else is wrong. Like, understand you can be wrong and then you'll start to see, like, what you're wrong about. And and that's, and maybe you'll realize, like, no, 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 our big deal. Let's keep doing it the right way. Or maybe you'll be like, wow, you could do that differently. So just, like, accept being wrong. Yeah. That's, that's cool. 
Hey. Yeah, I think um, the best way to turn a flaw into opportunity is to always be an outsider. So this whole idea of complacency we've talked about, never be complacent. Always be an outsider, even in your own organization, so that you can see things with fresh eyes. Because if you become too part of the system, you won't know what the flaws are and you won't mm. see them. So the reason why Brian and I were able to see the flaws in the advertising system is because we didn't come from there. So we could ask questions about how things worked. And even when we stayed there, it would have been easy to become complacent and just say, like Brian said, oh, this is how they do it, so this is how we'll do it. But maybe that's not the best way. So if you always try and take a step back and get fresh perspective, and if you ever find that you can't get that perspective, bring in an outsider to help you find it. Also, people don't think you're crazy, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> like if people are like, what? If no one says like, I don't know, that doesn't seem like that's gonna work. It's like, you want people to be like, that's weird, right? Cause then you're onto something. Yeah. Cause they don't get it, they didn't see that. And that's a good thing. SRW.agency, it sounds like a radio station. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> we should have a radio on, on the dial. <laughs> oh yeah, radio station. You start it, radio station. on the list. <laughs> <laughs> Billboards too. <laughs> Well, this has been fun. That was our conversation with Kate Wiedner and Brian Rawling of SRW. Kate and Brian, thank you so much for joining us and talking about flaws and opportunities and how we connect and create one from the other. Did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes. And while you're there, subscribe to the show. Ratings, reviews, and subscriptions increase us in the search rankings, which allow more people to find our show and thus discover their inner awesome. For this episode, if you want to find full show notes, the resources, and where you can contact Kate and Brian, head to idealemon.com. We've got it all listed there. That'll put a bow on this one. Thank you again to Kate and Brian from SRW.agency. For Martin McGovern, I am Rajiv Nathan. You have been listening to the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We'll catch you next time. But in the meantime, take care and be awesome today. Mm